The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Many of you come and have asked me or other staff just of devotional works, of things that can bless and be an encouragement to your soul. Uh, we've put out on the resource table uh, there in the Resource Center uh, a book, uh, a devotional guide through the Psalms, uh, written by Tim and Kathy Keller. Uh, Tim Keller is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, and it's there for you. Just as a reminder, uh, the Resource Center isn't a library, so it's not a checkout, bring back kind of system. It's there for you to purchase, and it's um, a loss center for us, meaning it's not a profit center for us. We want to make these available to you to have good resources in your home, to have good instruments and tools uh, as you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So I hope that you'll take advantage of this and get one uh, for you and your family and your children as you work through this summer and all year round uh, through the Psalms. The Psalms are said to be the introduction to all of Scripture, that they teach us what it means to understand the story uh, of the Scriptures. The story of is one singular storyline It's told in many different ways, but if you were uh, to distill it, it comes down to a very simple storyline. It is this, man's relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We we see it in the Old Testament. We see uh, it coming through the historic books. Uh, We see it in the poetry books. We see it in uh, the works of the prophets. You see it moving into the New Testament, into the Gospels, and all through Acts, and into the Epistles, and ultimately in glory in Revelation. If you're interested in learning more about uh, that storyline, uh, we invite you before this service every week is our 360 seminar looking at uh, From Garden to Glory, uh, looking at this story and how it goes. And so the Psalms are are presenting this, presenting a wisdom that says, how do you find then life in God? How do you find life through Jesus Christ? And it would make sense that the first psalm would be an incredibly important psalm, for it is the gatekeeper. Uh, It is the one that leads you then into uh, the fullness of all of the psalms. And this psalm is that way. It says and begins with answering a question that has plagued humanity uh, from day one. And the question is this, how can I be happy? How can I find happiness, contentment, blessedness uh, in my soul? If we were to go out and head down to Caligny, if we were to go out into Old Town and Bluffton, uh, if we were to go into your communities, into your places where you work, and live and play, and you said to everyone, hey, we want to invite you in because we've got the secret of life to find happiness, and we're not going to charge you anything for it. Uh, There aren't ten steps to take. Uh, It is simply uh, the secret of happiness and contentment in this life. We want you to come and hear it. We'd fill a room because people are looking for that. Go into any library, go into any bookstore, go and see on Amazon. Uh, the bestsellers are looking for contentment in life. How can I be happy in life? Well, the psalmist begins that way. If you want to be happy, he says, happy or blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners 
nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's very word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Let's pray. Father, we come with incredible humility to your word, asking that you would teach us, asking that you would bless us through your word, and that we would see you uh, in the midst of every verse. To Christ be the glory. Amen. So the psalmist asks the question, how is it that we can be blessed? How is it that we can find happiness? Are you interested? I am. As I looked at it, I was like, wow, this is awesome. How then do we find it? How do we get it? And he begins this way. And it seems like a strange first point for this sermon, but it's important. He says this, happiness in this life is possible. He begins by, by reiterating the obvious, because it's not so obvious within our world. That happiness, that blessedness, that contentment, that deep and abiding profound joy is possible and available in this life. You see, we state the obvious and we restate the obvious because the reality is so many people live their lives in a silent resignation that in and of themselves it is a lie to think that they can find happiness in this life. They say things within the church and within Christian circles uh, that should make you cringe, something like this. Well, you know, this life is the only hell that the Christian is ever going to experience. All that is is a modified mantra uh, from West Point. There's a young man from our community who's uh, up there, a couple of men from our community who are up there, and one of the mantras of West Point as you enter into West Point uh, in your first year, in your first summer, is simply this, embrace the suck. It's going to stink. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be horrible. Just embrace it. If you don't think that that's not preached within the church of Jesus Christ today, and it's not resonating somewhere in your hearts of going, well, I've got Jesus, but the rest of it is just an embracing of the suck. It really stinks. It is horrible. I'm just slogging through day by day. I'm hoping at the end of the day just to get an outhouse in heaven. I'm not shooting for mansions. I just want to get in. And I'm going to be so thankful if I just get in because this life is so hard. And I am bogged down in what you need to hear today if you've, if you've believed any bit of that lie is this, that the Lord through the psalmist says, happiness is possible for you. It is a different happiness than what the world offers you. It looks different, profoundly different. But it is a true and abiding happiness and contentment nonetheless. All of us have desires to find happiness. All of us. We have these desires deep within us. It is innate to the human soul. And if we have a desire, then there must be something able 
to satisfy that desire. C.S. Lewis wrote these words in Mere Christianity. The Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to fully satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for, some, for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire of my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. You see, happiness is possible. There is a solution to our desire. There is a fulfillment of that desire. You see, happiness is neither a natural born in part of the human soul. We, don't, we aren't just born with it. People think, oh, I was born with a happy soul. They were born with a happy soul. And others would say, I'm born with a melancholy soul. I'm born with a downcast soul. The reality is you were born with an innate need to find true happiness, but you don't have that happiness in and of yourself. And for some of you who go, well, I just must have been passed over for that characteristic. My DNA doesn't have that in the strand. I want you to be hopeful today. Others would believe that happiness is unattainable, that you search for it and search for it, but you never find it. It's that proverbial pot of gold, and you have spent your lives running after every rainbow, after every rainbow, and at the end of the day, there's nothing but disappointment and discouragement. The good news to us and to those who might feel that way is that if you have fallen into despair and deep cynicism, and you've lost hope, that you can find that hope in Christ. William Shakespeare penned it so well when he talked about the cynicism and the hopelessness of this life when he wrote these words, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time and all yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death out, out brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Why do people love Shakespeare's tragedies so much? Because they've bought in to a deep sense that at the end, everyone dies. Romeo and Juliet die and there's no hope. Macbeth dies and there's no hope. Hamlet dies and there's no hope. It's just going to die. It's full of fury. It's full of sound. But it's a tale told by a fool that life has something other than sadness to offer. Isn't that sad? 
You see, the counsel of the world points to false sources of happiness, which ultimately and inevitably lead to some level uh, of cynicism and of despair and of hopelessness. And we are living in the middle of that culture. Let me ask you a question. If I went to the person sitting next to you who knows you pretty well, I'll assume. If you're here by yourself, I'll find someone who knows you. And I said, characterize this person. Are they a happy soul? Are they a happy person? What would they say of you? No. Never see them smile. Never see them laugh. Never see them experience joy. There's a profound sadness and melancholy to their life. Now, what I'm not talking about uh, is your tigger just bouncing around on your tail all day saying, happy, 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 everything's going to be happy, let's sing a happy tune and just get over it. No, but what I'm saying is there's something in you, there's a deep joy and contentment and happiness within you that is resolute, uh, that is noticeable to the world around you. I wonder if you're brave enough to ask that question to those around you, to those who love you and know you. And what you need to see is that happiness is possible for you in this life. And the first thing that we see about this happiness that is possible and achievable and attainable for us in this life is that it is achieved indirectly. That it is achieved indirectly. That it is achieved as a byproduct of aiming at something else. Now that seems odd But the first thing you need to understand within the midst of this is happiness, as it's achieved indirectly, is never uh, determined by our circumstances. Too often we look for happiness through the lens of circumstance. What's happening to me and around me determines whether or not I'm going to be happy today, that I'm going to be a happy soul. But you see, happiness does not depend upon circumstances. Two men looked out of of prison bars. One saw mud and one saw stars. Same circumstance, but something was different in each man. They looked through, they experienced the same thing, but one saw mud and one saw stars. What's different? One was allowing the circumstance, one was allowing what was happening around him to determine how he viewed the world. Now listen, I'm not saying that the happy person, that the blessed individual isn't buffeted with difficulties And doesn't have difficult circumstances. The psalmist says it right there. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk or stand or sit. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And then it goes in verse 3. He's like a tree that's planted by streams of water. That yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. It's a picture of a tree that goes through all the seasons of life. It's a tree whose circumstances change uh, from the heat and the scorching drought of summer uh, to the cold of winter to times of storms. But it's a tree that in the middle of changing circumstances, it never withers. Its fruit is always borne out in its season. That there's something uniquely different about the tree, even though the circumstances change regularly. And what that says about the Christian, what it says about the person who finds their delight in Christ is this, you will be buffeted with storms and drought and difficulty, that you will experience all the seasons of life. As the the writer of Ecclesiastes wrote, there is a season for everything. There is a season to cry and a season to weep and a season to laugh uh, and a season to mourn. There are seasons But at the very root, at the very DNA, the very fabric of who you are, 
that those seasons don't determine you. You see, happiness and these is found in the midst of every circumstance. Every circumstance. Because you see, happiness, as it's found indirectly, not determined by our circumstance, happiness can never and should never be sought as an end in and of itself. Because it's an indirect byproduct of searching for something else, it is us looking for something and life in something else. The proverb says, seek happiness and live for happiness and you'll never find it. The writer of Ecclesiastes said, there is no true happiness under the sun. Uh, There's no happiness if we only look for it under the sun. Christ didn't say in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who seek blessedness. He didn't say happy are those who seek happiness. He said blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then they'll find happiness. Blessed are those who seek me first and my kingdom and everything else will be added unto them. It is a trajectory aiming at something else. You see, if you aim at happiness, you will neither gain happiness nor Christ. But if you aim for Christ, you will gain him and contentment and happiness, and blessedness. See, we aim at the wrong things. You realize that happiness, that seeking happiness has become an end for you when something wrong happens in your life. I was talking to a friend this morning. He got the diagnosis that none of us want to hear, cancer. Early stage and very treatable, but still cancer. And he was smiling. And he said, but I'm okay. Not in a flippant way, but of saying, I know that my God is good. And if my God is good and my God has me, then it's going to be okay through the midst of this circumstance. That was before the sermon. So I could look at him and go, that's awesome. Because he's not aiming at happiness. He's aiming at Christ. And so in the middle of a very difficult circumstance, he realized that, hey, this is awesome. I haven't been aiming at happiness. Because if you're aiming at happiness, and then something happens, how do you respond? It's okay to be sad, but not to despair. It's okay to be wounded, but not to lay mortally by on the side. It's okay to be knocked back, as Matthew Henry, the great commentator of Scripture says. It's okay to be blown away from the work for a season by the winds of life. But then when the winds subside, stepping back in. And too many of us, too many of you, have been buffeted by these moments. And what you found is this. I'm not getting back in the game. And you move from Christ. And you move from the church. And you move from relationship with Christians. Because you've been aiming at the wrong thing. Happiness is always a byproduct of looking for something else. You see, the secret of happiness is that the man and the woman who finds it has actually been delighting in something else. He's like a tree planted firmly. Why? Because they delighted in the law of the Lord. And upon it, they meditated day and night. Because you see, the secret of happiness is that you're aiming at something else. That you're aiming at Christ and happiness is thrown in. Isn't that a great byproduct? Christ says, come to me, all you who are weak or heavy laden. 
And I'll allow you to embrace the suck and make it through to heaven. He says, no, come to me. Aim at me. Come and pursue me. And I'm going to throw in flourishing and peace and rest for your soul. Because if you come to me as the ultimate source of true delight, I throw in all the delights of the world and of the cosmic ages given to you freely. But you have to aim at me. The person who delights in other things finds themselves disappointed. You've heard the stories of the actors like Jason Alexander, the wonderful actor who before he was George Costanza won a Tony uh, on Broadway for his work in a play. And it was at the age of something like 21, 20, something like that. And in his interview, he said that he finished the Tony Awards and he got the Tony and he's walking home from an after party in New York City as a young actor. And he got home and he set the Tony up uh, on the mantle in his apartment in New York City. And he looked at it and he went, I thought this would be different. I thought it'd be so much more. You, you hear of Matt Damon recently interviewed of saying, I'm so thankful that I won an Oscar in my 20s because what I realized was that if I had worked my entire life to gain the acknowledgement of, the, of an Oscar, to have that golden statue, and I'd gotten to my 80th year and finally won it in my 80th year, I would be so disappointed. Because he realized it's just a statue. And it didn't satisfy him in his soul. So many of you have been aiming at happiness by the wrong source. Through your career and you've achieved it. And now you have it. But you're not happy. Singles, and I was a, a singles pastor for a number of years, would come and say, I have to get married. I'll find happiness when I'm married. I say, be careful. Marriage can be the most lonely place you've ever entered into. Because if you think that marriage is going to bring you happiness, you think that having a child is going to bring you happiness, you think that not having a child is going to bring you happiness, that finally getting them all out of the house is finally going to give you happiness, uh, that finally restoring the bank account is going to give you happiness, uh, if getting a facelift and looking better and trying to cover the fact that you're getting older is going to bring you happiness. At the end of the day, uh, you look in the mirror and you go, I'm just still not happy. Why? Because you're aiming at the wrong thing. Happiness is always a byproduct. And it's a byproduct of someone who focuses on the Lord. Someone who delights in his law, in his word, in who he is, in the very essence of who God is. They delight in him. They find deep contentment and treasure in him. And what they find at the end of the day is all of a sudden happiness is thrown in. And so we've seen that happiness is possible. That happiness is gained inadvertently, if you would, by, as a byproduct, indirectly, by something else. We also learned this, that happiness, true happiness, is deeply rooted. It has great substance to it. How blessed is the man, the woman, the person. He, he is like a tree planted by streams of living water, standing in the judgment at the end of the day. It's a picture of stability. It's a picture of substance. It's a picture of a taproot that you see that goes down deeper down into the ground than even the external tree that we see. Because what he's saying here is that happiness, true happiness, has substance and deep roots. And that's important for us to hear because we live within a day and an age that could be characterized this way. It's the life of chaff. 
That's what the psalmist says. He says, be careful for those who try to find their happiness in everything else are like chaff that is going to be blown away and destroyed at the end of the day. Some of you are going, I don't know what chaff is. Chaff is an agrarian term from this day and age of when they would take the wheat and they would thresh it. The way they would do it was to put it on the threshing floor and they'd take uh, the rake and they'd throw it up into the air and as the wind blew, it blew away the light and fluffy chaff, the external covering and the hole, that's the hole that blew away. But the seed, the life-giving part, fell to the ground. And what he's saying is be very careful of the life of chaff. That you're a life, you have a life that has no substance. It has no roots. You see, we have a society today that has no roots. There are very few, if any, non-negotiables. Everything is up for discussion. Everything can be bartered. Everything can be changed. It's interesting, within our culture, the most advanced culture and the most advanced time in all of history that suicide rates within the United States rose in every single category last year with the exception uh, of black males. Isn't that interesting? That in our culture, who has everything, that there still is a deep and a profound lostness, a loss of hope in the middle of it that led one young teenager some time ago to write on his suicide note, that his parents found as they found his body outside the house on the tree in front that said, this tree is the only thing around here that has roots. We live in a rootless world. We live in a culture that says, be mobile. Go with the wind. Go with the flow. We highlight and love love the tumbleweed more than we do the oak tree. Ah, the freedom of life, the freedom of expression, to be whoever you want to be. Change it from day to day. Just be whatever you want to be in whatever culture you want to be in. It's a life of rootless chaff. And we're blown about to and fro. But the interesting thing, if you were to have a conversation with the tumbleweed and say, oh, what a free life you live. You get to go wherever you want. This is awesome. You just today decided not to stay here and you went over there. And what you would hear from the tumbleweed is this, I'm not free at all. I'm in absolute bondage to the will and the whim of the wind. I wanted to stay, but it blew me away. I have no roots. I have no ability in and of myself to do anything. I'm at the discretion of fate. But happiness, biblical happiness, isn't that way. It's it's pictured as a tree that's firmly planted, that doesn't, it's immovable, but yet it flourishes. The tumbleweed doesn't flourish, but the tree flourishes. Its its leaf never withers. It bears its fruit in its season. It, It has living water flowing beside it. It's tapped into a source deep down, and it's thriving. It's experiencing full, unadulterated shalom right there. And it says there are things in this world that are not up for discretion or debate. There are things that I will stake my life on and I will die for because there is a truth with a capital T that comes and it says this has to be true. We live in a world of chaff. Ask yourself, is there anything 
under any circumstance that's always wrong? Is there anything under any circumstance that's always wrong? If you ask that within our culture, the answer would be a resounding no. Everything is caveated. Everything is followed with a but. Well, I believe this, but know this. When you add a but in, it relatively negates everything that came prior to it. Especially couples as you discuss and try to come back together over an issue. Husbands, if you said, well, this was fine, but you... You just lost everything prior to that. But in our culture, there are very few, if any, who would say there are things that are wrong because they're wrong. In every circumstance, they're wrong. There's a rootedness. There's a firmness. And we see that this plays out so much because here's what happens You realize that you're aiming at happiness. You realize that you don't have a deep root when all of a sudden what you would hope for doesn't come to pass and you change the rules. You're willing to cheat. You're willing to lie. You're willing to steal a little on the side. You're willing uh, to do whatever is necessary to gain because what you find is this. I'm actually aiming at happiness. I thought I was aiming at Christ, but I'm really aiming at happiness because what happened is my convictions changed when all of a sudden difficulties came. We live in a rootless world. But happiness, biblical happiness, goes deep. And the psalmist says to us, be careful. Be careful. Because when you are trying to establish this deep rootedness, the company you keep matters. The company you keep matters when you're trying to establish for yourself a biblical sense of deep rootedness in Christ to become that happy, blessed person. And you're looking around. Who you hang out with matters. Kids, your parents didn't ask me to tell you that. That's biblical. Parents, your kids didn't ask me to tell you that. It's biblical. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, and who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Who you hang out with matters. The counsel that you receive in your life matters. Isn't it interesting that the psalmist starts out this way? He doesn't say, blessed is the man who isn't wicked. He doesn't get to performance. He says, blessed is the man who's not listening to the counsel of the wicked who's not influenced by them, who is not going about with their philosophy as his or her philosophy, uh, that she hasn't created a worldview uh, in the midst of humanity 101 uh, in college. And the better word choice, I would say, than wicked is ungodly. Some of your Bibles use that word ungodly. Hey, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And the reason that I think ungodly is better is what do you think of when you hear wicked? You see horns and you see, oh, this is a horrible person. This is such a wicked person. But here's what the psalmist is saying. All wicked people are ungodly. But not all ungodly people are wicked. They may look really good. They may be wonderful philanthropists. They may be wonderful secular humanists. They may be the nicest person you ever met but they have no regard for Christ. 
And that makes them ungodly and wicked, and you shouldn't listen to them. It doesn't mean that there's not wisdom that we can gain from outside and from the world, but it's saying this, the thing that I'm going to stake my life on, the world doesn't accept. It's foolishness to the world. And they tell me this, you mean that you believe that we were created out of nothing by the simple statement of a being that we can't see, that he spoke and all things came into being? Yeah, I believe that. You believe that Adam and Eve were actual historic figures? You believe that, Bill? Yeah, I, I believe that. You believe that Adam and Eve sinned because some talking snake came in and, and did this? Yeah, I, I believe that. You believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ alone and Him sacrificed and that we believe in Him by faith through the grace that He's given to us and there's no other way to get to heaven and that people who don't believe that are going to hell. Bill, you are so close-minded that you believe that? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do. Oh, Bill. I went to Presbyterian College, Presbyterian in name only, but I went to Presbyterian College. And I sat in Biblical Studies 101. You had to take it back then. I don't know if you still do. And I listened to a professor who graduated with my father in the 1950s from Presbyterian College. And he was a pastor. And he said, just to make sure you understand, we don't believe that this Bible is actually the Word of God. Okay, I'm going to get a B in this. Because you're not going to agree with my answers. And sure enough, when it came time to interpret the Scriptures, and I turned in my paper, I failed both my finals, New Testament and Old Testament. And I sent him to my father and I said, Dad, did I say something wrong in here? He goes, yeah. You said that you believe the scriptures to be true and he doesn't believe that. But I was willing to say, this is true. And I wasn't even walking with Christ at the time, per se. But it's saying this, the world, who is influencing you? He says, who are you standing with? It is a progression, but it's more of a total picture of the individual. He says, then who are you sitting with? To sit, biblically speaking, in the old Hebraic uh, would have been, who are your people? Who are you aligned with? Who are you identified with? As a parent, young people, let me tell you this. Who you spend the bulk of your time with and what you look at on your phone and on your computer influences you. It just does. You're not that unique. Don't tell me it won't do you. Parents know that. Fight that battle. Because you have a culture that's telling your kids that all this silliness that your parents believe isn't true. And just to go along with society, just to go along with it. And as a parent who's trying to fight, and sometimes well and sometimes not so well, it'd be great to know there's some other parents fighting the same way. Kids, I want you to hear this. As well, this isn't a pick on the kids' time. I'm encouraging your parents to do the same thing. Parents, make sure that you're aligned with and sitting with others. It doesn't mean that you don't have a, a robust relationship with the world around you, with those who don't believe the gospel, so that you can share the gospel with them, so that they come to believe. But if you have no Christian fellowship, other than the hour and a half and 15 minutes or whatever we're with today, do not expect to be able to find contentment and happiness in this life because you're listening to somebody else more. And it's so subtle. 
It's so subtle. Paul describes it as the sin that so easily entangles us. I can just picture the person walking and they're going along and then they kind of stand. Maybe because they're tired of all the assault, they're tired of all the stuff of trying to defend their faith by themselves and eventually they just sit down and they go, okay, this is who I am. Folks, the company you keep affects you and it turns you away from the deep, true source of all delight. The deep, true source of all delight is this. It's the Lord. That may sound like a Sunday school answer to you, but it's Christ alone. That there is a tap root that goes so far down into this water that he describes, this water of life, that when you hear cancer, or when your loved one looks you in the eye and says, I no longer love you enough to stay with you in marriage, that when your parent looks at you and says, I no longer love your mom or your dad uh, enough to stay with you, but it's not your fault, and they walk away. When you've lost your job, when you've lost your livelihood, when you're still single and you want to be married, when you're with, without children and you want to have children, when you've lost your best friend who you've loved well for 50 years, where's your root go? What's the tap that's flowing back into you that says to you this, it is a tough season. The wind's blowing. It's hot outside and it's dry. But know this, you are more loved and secure in Christ than you ever dare dream or imagine you could be. That there is a profound source of true delight which says that the king who is the judge is also your father who loves you immensely. That you can look and you can know this. Oh, it looks like the chaff are having so much fun. Oh, they're just enjoying life and I'm over here having to say no and no and I can't hang out with them and I'm not getting the advance and I'm not getting, uh, oh gosh. And then he says, oh, this, but the chaff will not stand in the judgment. That when all of humanity stands before the king and this king has the gavel of justice in his hand and it strikes down, it is as if a wind blows through the courtroom and all those who are firmly and deeply rooted in Christ stand and all those who are not disappear and blow away to eternal lostness and separation. The joy that that should bring of knowing I'm secure in Christ and that if my friends leave me, he won't. If my parents leave me, he won't. Whatever the world says, I know this. That my true delight is in the one who truly delights in me. And it's worth standing for. Christ said, I will align myself with you. Align yourself with me in that. Let that deep taproot go down that's where we come this morning, to a deep taproot, to a taproot that Christ says is this, when you place your faith in me, 
when you respond to the call of the gospel on your life and you say, okay, I believe these things to be true, it taps not into a theory, not into a philosophy, not into a worldview, but into a person, Christ himself. And he says, now my life flows into you. Isn't that an awesome picture of the life of Christ now flowing into you? The life of Christ who is equal with God the Father, equal with God the Son, perfect in all and powerful in all of his righteousness, is saying, now I'm the source of your true delight in life. He says, but you have to come to me first. You have to forsake all other sources of life. You have to be honest enough to say, I've been looking for happiness and contentment and all of these things somewhere else. And Lord, today I repent of those. And for some of you, it may be your first time of saying, Lord, today I'm going to stand with the righteous. And it's going to be hard and it's tough. But know this, you'll get buffeted a little bit. But that taproot, even in your immaturity, he has you and will never let you go. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. What can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Can anything? Of course, no. He says nothing. So you're safe and secure. So I invite you to come today. Forsake everything else. And allow Christ to be your source of true happiness and delight. Come to him. And find life. And springs of living life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for Christ, who is our source of life. We ask for your forgiveness when we've come to other things and we've aligned ourselves and sat with those who scoff at you. So, Father, now we come to this, your table, and ask that you would bless us deeply and profoundly, that we would find this joy, this happy joy in you. Amen.